Hi, my name is Tristan. And this is Reza. On this episode of Loading Screen, we're joined by Lindsay Rollins from Rocket Adrift. We'll be talking about their new game, Raptor Boyfriend, A High School Romance, some of the development stories, challenges, and their thoughts on the dating simulator genre. Hey, Lindsay, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you? Hey, thanks for having me. I'm pretty good. Cool. Yeah, we're really excited to talk with you. Um, This is kind of our first interview in the uh, series that we're creating where we want to chat with different studios around the games that they're building, the genres that they're trying to uh, push the envelope on and, and how their game fits into it. We're really excited to have you here today. To maybe start off with, could you tell us about yourself and the history of Rocket Adrift? How did you folks get started on making games and how, did, how was the studio formed? Yeah, so that's kind of like a weird roundabout story. But like, um, basically, it, it started with us making podcasts online. Um, and they were just like free SoundCloud podcasts, like to do with mo- watching bad movies and making them better. And then it didn't really go anywhere. So we were just kind of like, oh, maybe we'll branch out and try to do other things like more artistic things. We all went to school for illustration. That's how we met. So we were just like, well, why don't we do something where our skills can be applied? Like, why don't we try animations? So we tried making like YouTube animated shorts for a while. And that lasted about a year. <laughs> and then we were like, this is not worth it. Like YouTube does not serve the animation community, clearly. So we were just like, okay, we got to pivot to something else. And that's when we decided to form Rocket Adrift Games. And we were like, okay, let's let's put our focus on something that we can like sell to people, basically, mm-hmm. not just like this nebulous thing of getting internet famous or something. So yeah, that's when we decided to to make Raptor Boyfriend. And Raptor Boyfriend was actually originally going to be an animated short that we like turned into a game. Uh, and then this, that same year we decided to do that, uh, we saw that there was a game jam game uh, or game jam called Nano Reno. Mm-hmm. And that's just like a short visual novel game jam that lasts like the month of March. In, uh, and we so we participated in 2019 and we made our first visual novel called Order of Pizza, a visual novel. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's available on itch for free. But yeah, and that that was basically kind of a test to see if we could actually pull off making a game and a visual novel. <laughs> yeah, and that went pretty well. So we're like, sure, let's let's continue making Raptor Boyfriend, but we're gonna like triple the size. <laughs> and and then yeah, and then that's how we got to three years later here. <laughs> I see. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, and I think, you know, when when we were researching your studio a little bit, uh, you are still making creative content across multiple formats. Uh, Raptor Boyfriend being a video game, mm-hmm. you have the Dark Future Dice podcast, which is a podcast, and potentially more. Um, what does the cre- creative process look like when you have so many different surface areas that you're trying to create for? And I think you, you talked about monetization uh, as an aspect, but what do you want to bring for your audiences? So uh, with the podcast, we try, we originally made it so that we had an excuse to play a game, essentially, like to, <laughs> to have fun and like not actually work. And then it turned into work, <laughs> but it's not, it's, uh, it's honestly like more fun and kind of loose the way we plan projects and and like different seasons of our podcast as opposed to the game 
Um, and we do use it a lot as like a kind of a buffer for content. Like when we don't have anything to share about the game, we have the podcast to rely on for content mm -hmm. and we want to like keep it kind of like we're really adamant about keeping it ad free and like not going too hard into like getting on a network or anything. We just kind of want mm -hmm. it to be this fun thing that exists for people who want to subscribe to us. And yeah, the community there has been like absolutely great. Like we have a discord for our community for the podcast and they've been super supportive. That's awesome. Yeah. And then for the game, the way we approached it was we made, we basically made all the mistakes that like a noob developer would make. <laughs> like we were just like, <laughs> Oh, let's do everything super, super complicated and let's give ourselves one year to do it. And we just were like, yeah. no, that's not going to work. And there was definitely like burnout at points. Like last year was pretty rough with burnout. This year we mm -hmm. were like much better about like making realistic timelines and not pushing ourselves too hard. But the game uh, process has been like the, the process of development has definitely been the most stressful that we've had of all of our projects. So I'm curious, was this y'all's first foray into into the development side of uh, of it? I know you guys mentioned mm -hmm. that your background was in, uh, you know, the art side of things. Mm -hmm. So did you guys experiment with that in the past and kind of decide to explore it? Or was this really your first time doing this? Yeah, it was basically our first time doing anything remotely <laughs> related to like programming. Like we knew how to make animation. Yeah. And, and like obviously design and stuff like that. And then when it came to coding, we were like, let's just get into visual novels because we know that that's pretty easy to learn. RenPy mm -hmm. language is, is pretty like user friendly and easy to pick up. So that's what we started with. And now it's, now we definitely see the limitations of it. So we're like, I don't know if we'll stick with this engine, but it's definitely, it's definitely been like pretty insane. The amount of like stuff we learned over the last two years in that engine. Yeah, I can imagine that like stepping into something completely new like that is probably, you know, uh, obviously very adventurous and exciting. I'm kind of curious, like, uh, how did you guys decide to even make something like a dating simulator game and like, you know, come up with the idea of, of Raptor Boyfriend? What excited you guys about making a game like this? So Raptor Boyfriend, um, like I said, started as like an animated short and it was it came from this inside joke that we had about Twilight. <laughs> like we we're watching Twilight <laughs> and we we're like okay, but Edward Cullen is hot. Like, he's not a monster like the movie wants us to believe. He's just a hot guy. So, like, could you imagine if he was an actual monster? Like, what if he was a raptor? <laughs> that's basically where the idea came from. And then Taylor Lautner is like Taylor Talto and Stella mm -hmm. is Bella. But, like, we that was kind of the roots of the idea. And then it evolved from that's there. That's so funny. Yeah. And then the idea to make it a dating simulator was like, well, it's a teen drama and it's kind of like the perfect genre for this trope. But also just like we had been playing a lot of like uh, other visual novel dating sims and we were like, oh, you know, there's a lot of potential here. Like we can use this to tell a really interesting story. So and Doki Doki Literature Club was a big inspiration for that, too. So, yeah, that was how we decided to do it. Gotcha. What were some of the other dating sim games that, that you guys uh, experimented with whenever you were, you know, exploring this area? So, yeah, Doki Doki for sure. Um, we played Dream Daddy. Uh, we, we played Hatiful Boyfriend. And we played a bunch of more kind of Japanese ones like Clanid and like there was another one, Ace Academy or something. I think mm -hmm. that one's actually Western, but it's like anime style. Just like a bunch of things. And we found that like 
the Western style ones were gen- like typically more kind of like open and like yeah. like inviting to like different communities, whereas the v- the Japanese VNs were kind of like insufferable. <laughs> and we we're like, yeah. oh, we don't want to go for this. <laughs> we definitely want to go for more of a dream daddy vibe or something. That, that's interesting because that's something that came up during our research as well mm. in terms of when Eastern versus Western studios think about dating simulator games, Eastern cultures seem to be very rigid mm. in, type, in the types of romances that you can um, pursue, whereas the Western uh, developers have really pushed the envelope in terms mm-hmm. of like not just the setting, but the type of gameplay as well. And, and you know, we have some questions that uh, address this later on, but it's, it's great to hear that, you know, your studio also kind of had this experience uh, when playing these different video mm. games. So the next question I think was was kind of just focused on like you know some of the influences that you guys had outside. Was there any influences outside of like the gaming, uh, you know, the games that you guys played that kind of influenced us? I mean, I know you talked about Twilight. Mm-hmm. Um, what what else really like brought you to dating in general? Yeah, um, I was just like we we Pat and I, Titus not so much, but Pat and I are like really into nineties <laughs> teen drama shows like My So Called Life and like there's a Canadian one that people probably don't know it's called ready or not (laughs) and i love those shows so much and i just like the way they handle the romance in them is so like fun and interesting and like oh first time for everything and everything's just so dramatic and i just love that idea and i just really wanted to challenge myself in like writing something like that awesome cool and maybe talking specifically about raptor boyfriend how would you describe the appeal of this kind of game, you know, games in this genre to someone who's new to video games in general? Hmm. I'd say definitely first and foremost, it's really easy to play. <laughs> it's literally just clicking a button forward and making a choice mm-hmm. here and there. Um, it, it's yeah, it's definitely easy to get into. Um, it's also just like my this genre might have stories that are more relatable to people outside of games. Um, in that they're like, they're not usually about death or dying or like violence or something, um, that could be like, I guess, triggering to some certain people. So in that way, it's kind of more, more inviting to new gamers. Mm -hmm. Got it. And in terms of major themes and ideas in the game, what would you say they would be? Hmm. So like kind of the theme of Raptor Boyfriend is, is about like, change and coming face to face with kind of like um your own shortcomings and your and um getting over some traumas like there it does go pretty heavy um which usually surprises people but yeah Mm -hmm. like um for example robert raptorson deals with ptsd um after he has like a very bad accident that we learn about throughout his route and taylor Mm -hmm. deals with uh, abandonment issues that we find out more about in his route. And then Day deals with um, having to get over a past relationship and move on with her life. So those are the kinds of the major themes. It's basically like a coming of age, basically. I'm curious, did you guys want to lean into the high school elements of it? Or were you hoping to have like a more general story about teenagers and and folks that are like coming to age, if that makes sense? Yeah, it's more it's more generally about um, coming of age and not so much about high school. Like they're they're gotcha. the characters are only ever in school like for a few scenes at the beginning of each episode, <laughs> and then it's just like mm-hmm. we're moving on to like the hangout part of the of the scene. Got it. And 
And maybe one follow-up question. I, I noticed that the game takes place in kind of the rural Ontario area. Um, is that based on personal experience from folks? Did you folks grow up in Canada or was this kind of uh, through research? Yeah, it's definitely a, a kind of an amalgamation of all of our experiences growing up in, in Ontario. Pat uh, is the one with the most uh, influence on the small town experience because they grew up in a small town. It's called like Kettleby, Ontario. And it's basically the same mm -hmm. size as Ladle in, in the game. It's like a one road town <laughs> essentially. And yeah, and all the things about social anxiety um, and and like not knowing, like moving schools, I, I kind of bring my own influence to. And the 90s stuff is mostly Titus's influence because Titus is the oldest one and he actually grew up in the 90s. <laughs> He gets the reference. He knows like the references and the style of the time. Yeah, I when I was playing through it earlier um, in the in the script, like on the TV when when Stella was watching the TV, I think Samurai Pizza Cast mm. came up, and I was like, "Oh my god, what is? This? <laughs> <laughs> no way!" Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a little Easter egg that only like ten percent of people who play it get it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but yeah, that's a Titus reference for sure. <laughs> Got it. And in terms of the audience for Raptor Boyfriend, was there a certain segment you were targeting for? Or did you want to kind of create this um, general story that anyone can re uh, really relate to? Mm, there was definitely, we found a lot of people kind of in our age range would be probably the best demographic. So people who mm -hmm. basically weren't growing up in the 90s, but still feel like a weird attachment to the 90s. Because <laughs> that's a weird thing that's going on now. And also yeah. just like... Pe like generally like people who who would play visual novels and who would give like a, a weird kind of like gimmick game a chance essentially so yeah probably not like the pc gamer crowd or something <laughs> <laughs> did you guys imagine for this game to be the first game that folks would try out or did you imagine it to be you know like more of a niche thing that that you know uh someone who's already quite experienced in this area would would try out um we kind we kind of get a bit of both. Um, there are some people who just play it uh, that don't usually game at all, and then a lot of a lot of the streamers we've been getting are people who've played tons of VNs, so that that makes sense to me. But it's yeah, it's a kind of a mixed bag there. It's in interesting. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. I mean, I, I as someone that's never really played dating sim games mm -hmm. myself, I thought that this was like definitely a pretty interesting uh, like first entry. I, mm -hmm. I'm pretty excited to try it out. Um, I mean, just the premise of it, right? Like <laughs> trying to date a, a dinosaur and a Bigfoot is definitely an interesting one. Um, yeah. I'm curious, like for, uh, from an experience perspective, like what do you, what did you guys hope for gamers to feel as they played this game? Um, and as they like finish this game, I know you touched upon some of the darker elements of the story. Um, what were some of those emotions you were hoping to evoke? Well, um, my philosophy is like, make them laugh, make them cry. So <laughs> I always, we always start off kind of like jokey and like, oh, that's so weird and funny. And then by the end of it, you're like, I really care about this raptor and his life. Mm -hmm. And you're surprised by it. That's, that's kind of our philosophy is just like kind of genuine, but with like an absurd twist to it. Yeah, that makes sense. Were you going for anything in particular with some of the different characters? Was there like tropes that you were trying to go for? Or was it in general, like, let's just make these as believable as possible and see how, you know, gamers feel about the different people that they're interacting with? Mm. We start off with the introductions of each character is really tropey. Uh, and then they kind of obviously develop 
their own kind of characters. Like Robert's definitely the surfer dude, like jock type, popular, popular <laughs> guy in school. And then Taylor's definitely the mysterious loner, mu- musician, tro- like tortured artist type. And then Day's like the high achieving academic type uh, who's are also artistic and doesn't really believe in her own skills. And yeah. And then Stella's just pretty blank slate, but we did give her some character with the social anxiety. So she's kind of a wallflower, plain Jane type of character. I'm going to detour a little bit just to comment because I was able to spend some time. I, I think in general, some of the decision points uh, in the game has you know, I, I think there was a point where Stella wants to make a strategy, strategic decision mm-hmm. on how to act in front of her friends. And I, I think I chose like uh, princess-like or formal, I forget what the actual <laughs> wording was, but then that just carried out through yeah. the rest of the chapters. And I was like, no, I shouldn't. And I didn't save and it was too late for the auto load. And I just felt really, really bad because I, I had like a specific strategy in mind. I wanted to, you know, get close to Robert mm. and that definitely did not seem like the right decision. <laughs> um, so I I do appreciate the tropes and um, but also kind of the uncovering of some of the background for each of these characters. Mm-hmm. Here's a secret. None of her plans work. <laughs> It doesn't matter. Like <laughs> we, we, that's like a thing we like to do. In order of pizza, we do the same thing where we set up an expectation mm-hmm. for like how the game is supposed to be played, and then we just turn it on yeah. its head. So it's kind of like I see. Yeah, like the player thinks, oh, you know, this this is this kind of game. You do this to win this character. It's like no, actually, mm-hmm. like that's wrong. <laughs> like the re- thing you should really do is just be yourself and like you know spend time with the person you want to be with most. Yeah. And I, I, I think uh, this will tie into the next question, but just another experience that I really appreciated was that it, the, the game kind of has its own plan sometimes, mm-hmm. as in another example, hopefully this isn't like a deep spoiler, I think it's chapter three or four around pranking Robert with his clothes mm-hmm. at the lake. Mm-hmm. And I personally felt really bad, so I want to give back all of his clothes, mm-hmm. and I I think Stella ends up dropping it in the mud. And I was like, nope, can't have that happen. Reload. And then chose the other two options. And it still ended up happening. And I was like, this, this is horrifying. Like I felt bad. Yeah. Like it's interesting to see like how bad players feel for the characters, but like we never punish you for it. Like Robert doesn't Mm -hmm. like you any less. He, he still admires your prank and he's, he's still a viable option. even if you drop his clothes in the mud. Yeah. I, I had one quick follow-up question on that, Tristan. I, like, how did you guys decide which elements of the story would actually have an effect on, you know, the branch that you took versus some of these, like, we make you think it's a choice, but really we're just going to mess with you at the end of it anyways. <laughs> so, like, the the best way to influence the branch that you want to take is by choosing which one to call at the end of the school day and also which one you want to have bonus scenes with, basically, at the end of every episode. That's gotcha, That's basically okay. the only way you choose your branch. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. So you guys had a very systemic approach to mm-hmm. which things would influence the branch. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. That's interesting. And I think um, as a player, it also helped out a lot because I wasn't second guessing myself every time mm-hmm. of like, oh no, am I making the wrong decision here? I think even implicitly, I felt like, hey, Stella's in her bed. Who am I going to call? Who am I going to chat chat mm-hmm. with and, and kind of understand what I want to do there? Mm-hmm. In terms of Raptor Boyfriend and kind of its place in the genre, were there 
any things that your team try to do to make it stand out? Um, you mentioned that you played a lot of games for research and inspiration. Are there things that you want to kind of take the less a road less traveled or, or try to be a little bit more in, innovative in the dating simulator space? Mm-hmm. So yeah, definitely one of the biggest things that we could have done or what that we did that was obvious was the style in which we chose to do mm-hmm. it in. We didn't do like a typical uh, anime style. So that, I think that in itself is the biggest, uh, you know, tell to people that this isn't just mm-hmm. another VN. But also we just, we noticed playing other VNs that there was always like a bad route or like a, you know, mm-hmm. dark ending or something, or you screwed one thing up and it's over for that character. And I was, we didn't <laughs> like that. We were like, oh, why can't we have one where it's just like, you you just like this character and you pursue them and it's nice, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like there's no bad endings basically. And then the other one was like the way that they chose to approach gamifying romance was kind of like problematic to us. We were like, oh, this way to this person's heart is just by giving gifts to them. And I was like, <laughs> that's not how dating works, but okay. And so that's why we decided to have all the important decisions be like through a phone call and like choosing mm-hmm. a bonus scene because we we didn't want that like dissonance to happen between like your experience romancing a character and then gamifying that. And that would plus on that, like through some of our research, when we think about some of the quote unquote, seminal mm-hmm. visual novel dating sim games. A lot of folks refer to, uh, refer to Tokimeki Memorial mm. um, in Japan, but that's like very against uh, the exact philosophy that you mentioned of everything is stat based, mm-hmm. right? There's numbers mm-hmm. for every skill. I know. You need to make sure you're like uh, balancing the gifts for all the girls that you're trying to date at the same time. Whereas I feel like Raptor Boyfriend has been a lot more wholesome, a lot more relatable. You're not min maxing mm-hmm. things all the time. Yeah. And also just like the characters, um, like in these, in the Japanese VN specifically are just really mm-hmm. just palette swaps. <laughs> like, do you want to yeah. date the red hair with the big boobs or the yeah. blonde with the small boobs? And I'm like, okay, let's know. <laughs> we got a fairy, we got a raptor and we got a, t- like a, a Sasquatch. It can't get more different <laughs> in terms of right, right. here. <laughs> yeah. And I think something else that I really felt like Raptor Boyfriend was pushing the envelope that we haven't really seen much during our research is around the LGBTQ Mm -hmm. representation. Um, Besides just like, who do you want to kind of really get to know better and date? Even some of the backstories for some of these characters, like I think Day and her kind of relationship with, I believe, Ingrid mm-hmm. uh, is the name, um, is something that comes up. And even Taylor and, and his bandmate. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think the game really leans into it. So how did you and your team really approach diversity and inclusion mm-hmm. in Raptor Boyfriend? So at first it was it was pretty rough. Like we were just basically going for a straight parody of Twilight. So everything was pretty heteronormative. Mm-hmm. And like Day was originally mm-hmm. going to be just a best friend to Stella. And we mm-hmm. were just like, well, why? Why can't she also be a romanceable option? But it would require us to like rewrite a lot of the game. And But we went for it anyway because we were like, no, this isn't fair. Like she should also be like a dateable option and it's now it seems Mm -hmm. like unfathomable not to have that as an option (laughs) but originally she wasn't even going to be like a cryptid or anything and then Mm -hmm. um when it came to just uh the relationships between like the other characters like brandon and taylor we were just like oh wouldn't it be cool if if maybe taylor was bi but like it's not Mm -hmm. a big uh you know like 
part of his identity. It's just kind of something you learn about him as you play his route. And yeah. yeah, that was kind of our approach. We definitely feel like we could have done better in terms of that. We're finding a lot of people who played the game and, and have streamed it wish that they could date Ingrid as well. And that was interesting <laughs> to me. I was like, oh, yeah, I kind of designed Ingrid to just be like an asshole to you. But like everyone was really into that. I was like, oh, we could, maybe we could have done something there. But yeah, it would it would definitely require I mean, a lot People will to find learn. anyone to like. I know. Like people... <laughs> people really do uh, think that the side character should be dateable sometimes. Definitely not Brandon. Brandon is kind of like unforgivable, but there's a lot of popularity <laughs> with Ingrid's, an idea of Ingrid root, but yeah. And in terms of, is this something that you really wanted to make sure like you and your team um, would do right and like maybe even change it for the genre and the industry? Because I think in general, like, the, the way your team approached the Raptor boyfriend is very atypical in the sense that it feels very natural when you're playing the game. It's not in your face. Mm. Um, and, and you know, oh, like our game is doing this. Uh, so I, that's something I appreciated a lot. Is this something that uh, Rocket Adrift had in mind mm. while you were kind of developing the story and the world? Yeah, it's, it's kind of like the style in, in which we write. Like, even when we were writing cartoons online and making podcasts, like the the podcast that we do right now, it's kind of like our MO is to have like elements of absurdity and comedy, but then like taking the important things seriously, like mm -hmm. people's backstories and dealing with like dark things. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't, I don't know what else, I, I don't know how else we can really describe it. <laughs> I guess like our approach to humor has always been kind of just dry and, Canadian, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> We're not into like zany, kooky comedy when we when it comes to writing. It's more like mm -hmm. in the design or like the idea of something that's kooky to us. I, I had one follow up question. Um, did you guys consider making the uh, you know the queer elements of the game potentially more forward in terms of like the main character discovering uh, those aspects of herself as well, or was or was the intent always to make it as ingrained into the story as naturally as possible? If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, we wanted it to. We wanted there obviously to be present a representation there, but we didn't want to make it like the whole identity of the characters. Mm. Some really helpful gotcha. advice yeah. I got, like I was working uh, before I before the pandemic, I was working as a line cook. Uh, in a restaurant and my boss uh, was a lesbian and I was asking mm -hmm. her kind of like, well, what do you look for in like queer representation in your media? And she's like, I like the fact that that some shows and movies don't focus on the fact that they're gay. Mm -hmm. It's just part of their character and it's not a big deal. And I was like, okay, that's interesting. And it, I think that really influenced the way we wrote Stella and like day is that like, we don't have to have a scene where they're like, Oh, I guess I'm gay. Like, that just yeah. have them be gay, you know, and just yeah, do do things that anyone else does. I can also imagine it's a trope that is, you know, it's a very common in, in high school mm. uh, or, or like media that portrays high school, right? Like, oh, this is when folks will often discover themselves. So let's make that the core focus mm -hmm. as opposed to, you know, making it a very like, oh, this is just, you know, what the status is. And it's yeah. not necessarily something that needs to be explicitly called out. I think, you know, I, mm -hmm. I, I can appreciate that a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we were originally we had kind of like um, a, a reticence to do it to write it that way, because we knew that we we're showing mm -hmm. a time like a 90s 
piece of mm-hmm. media that would be like, would that really be, you know, an option back in 97? And we all know realistically, no, but we want to mm-hmm. create like a fantasy world where anyone can escape to, you know? So I think that was more important than being real to the time or something. Yeah, for sure. That definitely makes sense. Um, I think pivoting away from uh, a little bit about the game, I'm kind of curious. I, I think we're really curious to hear more about like the team and, and Rocket or Drift in general. Hmm. What was y'all's process for really making the team? Um, how do the three of you guys like to work together? So, yeah, like we, like I said, we, we um, met in school and that was a pretty shit experience for all of us <laughs> well the pro <laughs> the program sucked it really did like i think the best thing we got out of it is the fact that we met each other and we all wanted to keep doing creative things after um so yeah after i remember we we graduated and then after school there was just like a creative lull because you're burnt out from school and then we just mm-hmm. got together to do po- podcasts together. And the only person who showed up from our friend group was Titus. <laughs> like Pat was the one who wanted to <laughs> wanted to do the podcast. And we lived together. So I just happened to be there. <laughs> and Titus would come over <laughs> and do it with us. And we're like, okay, well, here's something. And then, yeah, it just kind of grew from there. We knew we both, we all knew we wanted to like keep doing creative things, but we weren't sure what we wanted to do particularly. And we never really, you know, we never really thought video games was an option until like three years ago. And Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, we just kind of like naturally went into that role, I guess. That's super interesting. Do the three of you have a history in gaming? Uh, did you guys grow up playing games at yeah. all? Or was it really like a complete... Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, we all grew up playing games. We all have stories <laughs> that we share with each other. We, <laughs> we play together too sometimes like when we when we have time off and we want to just hang out and play some multiplayer stuff. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. I, I know you mentioned that uh, a pretty big aspect of this that was a challenge was, of course, just the technical part. Um, but what were some of the other big challenges that you guys ran into when you know building this out? So it definitely um, just like pacing ourselves and making realistic timelines. Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't think it's unique to us. It's like every every studio that's ever talked about this has had the same issue where it's like you don't know really how long it'll take to make a certain thing in your game and it always ends up mm-hmm. taking longer than you think and so we were just like we would read these stories like we were watching the double fine adventure like documentary it's like just this like free thing on youtube that um no clip made for uh, about mm-hmm. like the double fine studio and their process making broken age and we just we would watch like Tim Schafer talk, make all these mistakes and like talk a big game and waste <laughs> all this money from the Kickstarter. And we were just like, what is, what is he doing? What's he talking about? Like, how do you make those dumb mistakes? And then we turn around and make the same mistakes. <laughs> and it's like we got to chill our egos a bit here. <laughs> like, yeah, we we des- definitely made the same mistakes. We you know we didn't. We didn't search for funding early on, early enough, so we basically had to pay for everything out of pocket. Um, mm-hmm. We, you know, we we were, yeah, making unrealistic timelines and then crunching and then not really getting anything mm-hmm. done and having to scrap everything and rewrite it. I think we rewrote Raptor Boy for three times. It was like, oh wow, oh yeah, oh my god. <laughs> That's why when people say the writing is good, I'm like, it better be. We <laughs> rewrote this three times, <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, it's it was a roller coaster. 
<laughs> That's really intense. I'm, I, you mentioned a little bit there about funding. I'm, I'm kind of curious as someone that, you know, we haven't had much experience with this, of course. What, what was that process like? Uh, did you guys have any experience with that before? Or was that also like a very, uh, you know, first attempt at that? Mm, yeah, it was definitely, I, I had tried going to the Ontario and Can- Canadian government for grants as an artist before. They have like certain oh, arts wow. grants. Yeah, they they have a lot of opportunities to get grants, but the like bureaucracy kind of like wall they put up is really complicated to get through. So I was never able to successfully get through the process of getting a grant. Uh, we had tried, we tried the Toronto Arts Council for grant for a grant, but we just, we didn't get it. Um, and then we were going to try Ontario, but like the deadlines just never met up with what we had to show. So we just mm-hmm. kind of gave up on the grant side of things. And then we were looking into getting um, publishers involved uh, last mm-hmm. summer. That didn't really go anywhere. Like we got some like ins with certain with certain publishers that were willing to meet with us and talk to us. But, you know, they we didn't have much to show in terms of like alpha or beta. Uh, so they they just didn't want to go with us. And we, you know, we're, we're really new and, you know, an mm-hmm. unquantifiable quality. So or yeah, so they couldn't they didn't want to make a bet on us, essentially. So. Yeah, basically, this is all funded on our own. <laughs> we did. Oh, we also looked into doing a Kickstarter, but like none of we weren't happy with any of the deadlines. And I think we just waited too long on it, really. <laughs> Definitely a thing I'm go- we're going to do next time is if we're going into Kickstarter, we got to do it right away. We can't just wait around until we have a beta version of our game. Yeah, I mean, on the other end of the extreme, some video game Kickstarters, they don't even have exactly like i've so (laughs) many stories are just like we literally just had two minutes of gameplay and everything else is broken and that's what we had to sell to everyone even e3 presentations are like that Mm -hmm. and we we just wouldn't we didn't want to accept showing something unfinished or broken or unpolished to people and we were a bit too precious about that i think we should definitely Mm -hmm. show more and like try to push earlier on in the process with our next game (laughs) I guess one follow-up question in the same realm is with marketing and kind of getting the game game out there, mm-hmm. especially during COVID. Mm-hmm. I, I know it's been a hard year for everyone, but espe- like if you're trying to release a game, um, which I, in terms of recording, I guess uh, came out last week. So congratulations to you and your team. Yeah, um, thank you. What, what did that look like? And were there any like huge hurdles that uh, Rocket just have, had to overcome? So... Launch day was, uh, it wasn't great, to be honest, like numbers wise, the the response mm-hmm. on social media was fantastic. Like, I don't think we could have gotten a better result uh, if, if we had done it any other way. Um, but mm-hmm. the sales just weren't really converting that well. So we're like, we're obviously, it's not doomed. That's kind of common for indies to release with not a lot on launch day, but they have a long tail. So there's always like events right. and other things we can be part of that can help boost sales. But it was definitely disappointing. <laughs> I can't mm-hmm. lie. We were we were pretty down for a while. Um, but uh, now we're like redoubling our efforts. We're looking into like some services and like resources we haven't really looked into before or didn't have the time to realistically. Um, mm-hmm. And I think... I think the toughest part about it is that you 
set up an expectation. And even though you know it's probably not realistic, your part of your mind is hoping that you'll just, oh, you'll be the next Eric Barone, like Stardew Valley. Mm-hmm. You'll sell a million copies overnight. And it's like the chances right. of that happening now are just almost impossible. So it's more about like mitigating your expectations, really. <laughs> Got it. Cool. Awesome. Uh, yeah, Lindsay, feel free to, this is kind of like the plug part of the show. If you wanted to talk about Raptor Boyfriend a little bit more, where to follow you and your team. Um, yeah, go for it. The floor is yours. Sure. Yeah. That's Raptor Boyfriend, a high school romance. And you're a teenage girl who is looking for love in high school with three hot cryptid teens, a raptor, a fairy, and a Sasquatch. <laughs> Yeah, uh, we're we're available on Steam, as I said, and itch.io. And we're working to get a Humble Bundle storefront as well. Um, and yeah, you can follow us on Twitter at Rocket Adrift. Uh, and we also have a podcast, like we mentioned. It's it's a TTRPG actual play pod- podcast where we play Cyberpunk Red. Um, and that's called Dark Future Dice. And you can you you can follow us at Rocket Adrift. We share updates on the podcast there as well. And you can also download it on any podcatcher app you use, Apple, Spotify, uh, and anything else. Cool. Awesome. Oh, I, I did remember the one last question I had. Um, who Who is your favorite route in Raptor Boyfriend? Oh, Taylor. By all, like all the way, Taylor. <laughs> Any specific reason? Oh, loner musician types get me so bad. <laughs> My type. <laughs> that's so funny i think for me i i lived a very awkward high school life so i was like i'm gonna stick with robert so i can kind of live by proxy uh, <laughs> social capital you gotta get that social capital yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly cool okay that wraps it up for this episode of loading screen a huge thank you again to Lindsay from rocket adrift for joining us today Loading Screen is available on Radio Public, iTunes, Google Music, Stitcher, Podbean, and all of your favorite podcast directories. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to subscribe, review, and share it with your friends. We're also on social media as Viewport Gaming on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Loading Screen is a part of Viewport Gaming, a gaming site that provides a look into videos, video games through reviews, features, and podcasts. You can find all Viewport content at viewportgaming.com. As always, I've been your host, Tristan. And this is Raza. Thanks so much for stopping by, folks.